Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Glitch Report. My name is Nitwood. Thank you so much for stopping by, saying hi, kicking it with me today on the stream, the stream of dreams, the show of shows. If you're watching this live on my Twitch channel, thank you for hanging out in the chat, chatting it up. If you're watching this on my YouTube channel, the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel, thank you so much for checking out the video version of this podcast. And if you are listening, just got your AirPods, maybe you got some Beats by Dr. Dre, some... Oh, I don't know, some Sony's. If you can find a way to take the MP3 of this and convert it into tape and then put that tape in a Walkman, more power to you. It is episode 22 of the podcast. Like I said, you can find everything that I do over at my Linktree, linktree.com slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff. On today's show, we are going to be talking about some of the big Nintendo news. Nintendo has some things to say. They finally put out a statement about the state of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. They also uh, were in the news for a major Smash Brothers tournament. We're also going to be talking about Arma 3 and some of the fake uh, news that has been coming out of that game. Uh, Todd Howard uh, of Bethesda has been talking about Starfield and Machine Games' Indiana Jones game. Uh, we're also going to do a little bit of talking about that Witcher 3 remake, uh, some Gran Turismo 7 rumors, and so much more. Not only that, but I've also had the chance to play a little bit of Need for Speed Unbound. That is the new Need for Speed game that is out. I think it's out Friday. You know what? Here's the thing that you may not know about EA games. EA games... Uh, are super weird now with their release dates because they actually come out early for some people. So I've been playing it on uh, Game Pass users. I have, I have Xbox Game Pass and Game Pass users actually get the game um, for about 10 hours. Like every EA game that comes out on PC as a Game Pass subscriber, I get to play it for about 10 hours for free. Kind of like a trial. Uh, kind of like a trial of some sort, um, which is cool. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's how I kind of, you know, had the chance to play it. I did not buy Need for Speed Unbound. Whether I would buy it or not, uh, I will let you know uh, once we get around to talking about it. But, um, you know, I got the chance to check it out. Um, but it's weird. It comes out uh, on the 2nd, so that's going to be uh, on Friday. Uh, but I've actually had the chance to play it uh, since it came out. Uh, earlier this week. So EA games come out in weird, uh, weird release windows. Now it is what it is. Um, but, uh, th there are other things to talk about with the game than just the, uh, release date and all that stuff. So, uh, checked out some need for speed unbound. We're going to talk about that, uh, play a little bit of arcade paradise. We're going to talk about that on the show. Uh, a little bit of teardown, played some teardown. And also finished Spider-Man Miles Morales, so I'm going to have some thoughts about that. So stick around, because we're going to get to news right after this. Welcome back to the podcast. Let's talk some news. Nintendo has apologized for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet's performance and pledges improvements. Man, oh man. So let, let's, let's take it back a little bit. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet came out. And they were kind of a hot mess. Uh, I, I would say a hot mess. Um, they came out, what was it? When did they come out? They came out just about two weeks ago. Um, 
And in that two weeks, we have seen nothing but memes and nothing but videos uh, and, you know, social media posts of all the horrible things that are wrong with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing about, you know, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet It's within that two weeks. Nintendo never said anything until now. The, co- uh, the company detailed the next update coming to the games and said it was taking player feedback seriously. The version 1.1.0 update will release later on Thursday and bring with it the first season of Ranked Battles, one of the game's competitive modes. So they're adding content to the game. But, and I think this is where a lot of people kind of, you know, struggle with the game, is it's not so much the content of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet that really sucks. It's the performance. It's the it's the graphical issues that, that kind of plague the game. Um... It will also fix an issue where certain music tracks weren't playing correctly during specific battles, according to Nintendo. In a message from the platform holder, it apologized for the performance issues that players have encountered, saying it will take the feedback from players seriously and is working on improvements to the games. Nintendo said, we are aware that players may encounter issues that affect the game's performance. Our goal is to always give players a positive experience with our games, and we apologize for the inconvenience. We take the feedback from players seriously and are working on improvements to the games. Um, so there's like a full like patch notes. Like if you want to read all the stuff that they're updating, um, you can go ahead and read it. Now, you know, Video Games Chronicles, which I'm getting the story from, also mentions that despite the criticism that the game has received, it is still a hot seller, which leads me to wonder, what is Nintendo going to actually do? Are they just going to sit around, count their money, or are they actually going to try to fix the game? Because, and I'm just, I don't want to like be too negative here. We have a situation where, you know, they already sold their, already sold the game, right? They already sold the game. They don't really have to do anything else to, appease fans. Why? Because the fans clearly were buying games that were bad. Now, some people didn't know the game was bad uh, and bought it under the pretense that it was a good video game. Other people were like, I need to know how broken Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are. And some people did not care. They simply did not care uh, what state the game was going to be in when they bought it. They just needed to play it. So, what do you do, right? Like there, I, you know, I, I scroll through Facebook and Twitter comments and I shouldn't do this, but I, I see a lot of people that are like, oh, well, like the game's fine for me. Didn't notice any issues or, you know, the, the issues that are there aren't that big of a deal. And it kind of goes back to, you know, my thought that we should demand better. We should expect better from video games. We should expect better from companies, right? Even if, You know, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet has been a stable, you know, reliable and enjoyable experience for you. That doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate problems that you are either A, ignoring or B, not, you know, not affected by uh, that plague that game. Pokemon is the biggest gaming franchise in the world for a game like this to uh, come out in the state that it is in and completely shit the bed. It's pretty unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. It it really, really is. Uh, also, I'm going to shout out to the uh, the chat. Kingster, uh, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, Subjected Sins, thank you so much for stopping by. We're talking Pokemon. So now we're in the state where Nintendo is apologizing. 
Nintendo was apologizing for the state of the game, but they knew going into this that this is how the game was going to be received. Now, I don't know if you know this, but between playtesting and, you know, player feedback and, you know, all the different things that they can do uh, while the game is developed, there's a lot of things that developers can kind of understand about their game in terms of reception uh, prior to the release. There's even things like mock reviews, you know, um, about it. Uh, you know, seriously, Kingster, uh, a lot of bad stuff from streamers. Uh, streamers. Uh, Nintendo literally just put out this uh, this uh, apology just yesterday, which is uh, really crazy. So you have a, st a situation where Nintendo's saying sorry, but they knew and, and Game Freak knew going into this release that this is how the game was going to be received. There's no way they couldn't know that because you have people playtesting the game saying, hey, you know, the the graphics aren't so hot. The frame rate isn't so hot. You know, the game has a bunch of weird animation bugs like they knew this going in. And instead, they take everybody's money and they apologize for doing so. Now, you might think like, well, nitwit, what are you, some sort of communist? Like, this is how business works, baby. Okay. If this is how business works, we should expect better from our businesses. We should expect better from our game developers. We should expect better from our game publishers. It really is. And, you know, people in the chat saying that's how it is nowadays, right? Send it out, send the game out, and then apologize for the state that the game's in. And that sucks. That's garbage. That's trash. It shouldn't be like that, right? And, you know, games come out in, in various states. You know, I've seen... Big AAA games that come out and, you know, they are in acceptable states, right? I didn't see a lot of issues that people were talking about as it relates to God of War, for example. Now, I bet that if you do enough digging on Reddit, on Twitter, on YouTube, on whatever, people are saying that God of War is the worst God of War. You know, God of War Ragnarok is the worst God of War game out of all time. There are probably people saying that right now. Are those people's opinions invalid? No, probably not. But when we see a game like uh, like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet that clearly has issues, um, to go up and bat for Nintendo and defend it, what are you doing? Like now, now if you're like a YouTuber saying like, "Oh, Nintendo Scarlet and Violet is good," people are like blowing it out of proportions. Now you got Nintendo apologizing for it. Oh, I'm not saying new. Well, if New God of War is bad, like uh, okay, then maybe it's a bad example. Like if people, if people don't like New God of War, th that that's fine. But even if you dislike God of War Ragnarok, it is not the hot mess that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is. Sony did not have to go and apologize for the state of New God of War, right? Again, we might be we might be kind of taking the the you know opinions of the game design you know, into question when we compare God of War with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which again, not even in the same league. Again, the biggest problems. Sorry, I didn't say it was bad too. I'm just saying that if you are comparing it, like people complain about everything, right? So when you are looking at the internet as a whole, it is, it is the hottest takes saying that the thing that you love is bad and it's the coldest take saying it's good actually, right? You're going to have people that say Avatar 2 is the greatest movie ever made and you're going to have people that say Avatar 2 is the worst movie ever made, ever made, right? And the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. 
right? Like we can probably safely assume that, you know, whatever the state of Avatar 2 is, the truth of how that movie actually is probably lies somewhere in the middle. But in this situation where we can clearly see that Nintendo has a problem on its hands. That's right. Everyone's remembering that Avatar 2 is coming out. Uh, Nintendo clearly has a situation on its hands where they put out a bad game. They're apologizing for that bad game. And some people are still arguing that it isn't that bad. If it wasn't that bad, Nintendo wouldn't be apologizing for it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Whether they actually fix the issues with Pokemon uh, remains to be seen. Um, I don't think this game is going to be fixed with just a couple of updates. Um, but who knows? People really think that, you know, CD Projekt Red turned it around with Cyberpunk. Uh, I, I disagree. I think Cyberpunk's still a bad game despite, you know, all the updates that it received. Um, but again, my issues with Cyberpunk are maybe not the same as some people's issues with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Well, let's move on uh, to other Nintendo news. Nintendo, first of all, we're not going to talk about the Mario trailer. We're not going to talk about the Mario trailer. Why? Because just go watch it and form your own opinion on it. I don't think Chris Pratt is the greatest voice for Mario, but also you wouldn't want Charles Martinet doing 90 minutes of let's go or whatever. So I know that trailer's out. Go watch that Mario trailer, form your own opinion on it. Go see it or don't see it, whatever it takes. Um, but we're here to talk about this other uh, Nintendo news, which is a major Smash Brothers tournament shut down by Nintendo. What a surprise. Nintendo hates eSports. I don't love eSports. Like I could I could take it or leave it as it relates to eSports. But I think one of the best uh, examples of competitive games and esports in general are fighting games. Now, if you want to argue that Smash Brothers isn't a fighting game, this ain't the place for it. For shorthand, let's just call it a fighting game for now. It is a fighting game the same way that Tekken is a fighting game, the same way Street Fighter is a fighting game, just, just for the sake of this episode of the podcast, all right? If I turn around next week and say Smash Brothers isn't a fighting game, fine. But in the context of this tournament that was going to be run, Smash Brothers is a fighting game. So help me God. Nintendo has allegedly shut down a large Smash Brothers fan tournament at the last minute its organizers have claimed. Smash Brothers were, oh, sorry, Smash World Tour, which was set to have its annual championship on December 9th to 11th with a prize pool of $250,000, will now seemingly no longer go ahead, with Nintendo being blamed for the cancellation and rival tournament organizer Panda being implicated in the decision. So a little bit of scandal going on. Nintendo has denied some of the allegations. In a statement posted by the organizers of the event, it was claimed that despite having productive conversations with Nintendo about receiving an ongoing license to host Smash Brothers tournaments, Nintendo suddenly stated that the Smash World Tour could no longer go ahead. Without any warning, we received notice that bef uh, received notice the night before Thanksgiving from Nintendo that we could no longer operate. This was especially shocking given our discourse with Nintendo the past 12 months. So what they had the rug pulled from under them like that's that's real crazy. The statement also accused the CEO and co-founder of Panda Global, a esports organization with its own officially uh, officially licensed Nintendo. Sorry, 
with its own officially Nintendo-licensed Smash Brothers tournament of trying to sabotage Smash World Tour's 2022 events by telling tournament organizers last year it was shutting down. Who knew? Who knew that, like, the same tactics that we've seen in the world of professional wrestling and and sports, you know, promoters and, you know, boxing organizations would turn around and be used in the world of esports, right? This is like WCW versus WWF all over again. We especially, we specifically held off announcing 2022 Smash World Tour uh, per the request of Nintendo, it said. The aim was to get licensed before our 2022 tour was announced and kicked off in March. Which makes me wonder, like, you know... Why, why pull the rug from under them? If Nintendo really is in cahoots with Panda, like that's some shit, ain't it? But the other thing is that like Nintendo is so picky. I, like if you don't know, like there's a lot of complicated history with esports, with fighting games, and with Nintendo in general. But man, Nintendo is so picky about who gets to do esports tournaments with Smash Brothers. Like we've seen Smash Brothers tournaments get canceled left and right. And the only reason I'm you know kind of covering the story, because this is another example of Nintendo being so goddamn picky, um, fickle, some might say, uh, when it comes to their tournaments. And it really sucks. So to have the, the rug pulled from under them, it's a real shame. It's a real shame. Like, you know, people are looking forward to it. $250,000 is a lot of money. I'll tell you right now, if you get the chance to play video games, like competitively for a living, and you have a shot at uh, $250,000, that is a life-changing amount of money uh, for some people. That is going to do it for the Nintendo Smash Brothers story. I don't know what else to say other than they got the rug pulled from under them. They got screwed over, and uh, it's a it's a damn shame. It's a damn shame what happened. Now let's cover some real serious gnarly news for a moment. Gnarly news, uh, just for a moment. Um, Arma 3 is a military sim. Um, Arma 3 is a military sim. It is a first-person shooter um, that, you know, tries to be a little more realistic than something like a Call of Duty, something like a Battlefield and that sort of stuff. Uh, Arma 3 is a first-person shooter that tries to simulate the war and modern military experience a little more seriously than something like Call of Duty, than something like Battlefield. Um, for example, in Call of Duty, you can crouch, you can go prone and lay on the ground flat. In Arma 3, there are like seven different ways to crouch on the ground and shoot a gun. Like, this game is very dense, is very slow, is very tactical, is very methodical, and it is a lot more serious and hardcore than your average first-person shooter. Um, so this is where things get real crazy. The studio behind Arma 3, uh, Bohemia Interactive, uh, says game footage is being used to spread fake news about the Ukraine war. I'll read that one more time. Arma 3, the game footage of Arma 3 is being used to spread fake news about the Ukraine war. Now, fake news. Fake news used to be just a funny thing. We just used to sell like yell like fake news, right? Fake news used to be a thing that we would just like joke about, laugh about, you know, yell fake news, you know, your fake news, this fake news, whatever, whatever. But then at some point, like fake news became like a thing that like 
you know, kind of penetrated, you know, a lot of media or a lot of beliefs around, you know, media, mainstream media, alternative media. Me, I like to think of myself as the game stream media. You know what I'm saying? No, uh, jokes aside. But fake news used to be a joke. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, how easy it is to take a video game and spin it as something that is reflective of what is going on in the real world. Um, Arma 3 maker Bohemia Interactive has said it's aware of the recent circulation of videos taken from the game and falsely uses footage for real-life conflicts. The independent Czech studio said the practice was being used to spread fake news, sometimes unwittingly, and mainly about the war in Ukraine. These user-made videos have potential to go viral and are massively shared by social media users, sometimes even by various mainstream media or official government institutions worldwide. So you have people who don't even know the difference, right? And there's a conversation we can have about media literacy and critical thinking. But the fact is, is that like, I don't think we live in a world where people could critically like the, the average person could critically think even if they wanted to. And that's not me taking stabs at, you know, the, the society at large. It's just that we are so bombarded with so many news stories from so many sides of the truth that it's really hard to get your mind wrapped around what's real and what's not. Uh, Arma 3 takes place in a fictional conflict in 2035. It offers a set of modding tools which allow users to create and share custom military scenarios, weapons, vehicles, and game modes. According to Bohemia, there are currently over 20,000 Arma 3 mods available to download via the Steam Workshop. So that's one of the things about... Uh, about this game, right? You can kind of download and, and, you know, modify and change up whatever you want. So if you want to put Canada versus the U S in the world war three match of the year, uh, you know, or the, of the century, I guess it wouldn't be a God. If we had a world war every year, God help us all. Um, it sometimes feels like that, but, but that's okay. Um, you can do a lot of stuff with, with armor three. And again, one of the things about armor three is that it tries to be a more realistic interpretation of first person shooting and war compared to, uh, you know, compared to call of duty. No one's watched like Fox news. Uh, I'm not picking on Fox news, but I'm going to pick on Fox news. I'll pick on CNN. I'll pick on whoever. I don't care. But the mainstream media would not run a video of call of duty realistically showing off, um, the war in Ukraine, right? Like no one is like, oh, war zone. Look what they're doing in the real world. They're like, they're fighting in the gulag. No one is confusing it. But again, if you have never seen Arma 3, go look at Arma 3 because it kind of looks like, you know, it looks a little more realistic uh, than something like uh, Call of Duty. While it's flattering that Arma 3, uh, this is from Bohemia's PR manager, which God, can you imagine being PR for this horse shit? Uh, situation. While it's flattering that Arma 3 simulates modern war conflicts in such a realistic way, we are currently, we are certainly not pleased that it can be mistaken for real life combat footage and used as war propaganda. When you see something on social media, doesn't matter if it is your ex-girlfriend, you know, uh, looking hotter than you have ever seen her before or your best friend getting married or a link to my podcast or 
an ad for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Just think, like, what is what's the story that they're telling? Wh- who who benefits from this? What is, what is the story behind this post? Because when I see, like, if I saw Arma 3 footage, like, if I was just scrolling through fucking TikTok and I saw Arma 3 footage, the first thing I would ask myself is, well, who benefits from posting this? Because if it's not Bohemia Interactive uh, posting Arma 3 footage, I would seriously wonder, like, what is the story? What is the story? And I'm not going to have a big media literacy conversation today. That's not what this podcast is about. Um, But I would just like to remind people, regardless of your political beliefs, your personal beliefs, whether you know what Arma 3 is or whether you follow the war that's going on in Ukraine, when you see literally any type of social media post, I would just like to remind you to ask yourself, what is the story behind this post? What are people trying to get out of posting this? Who benefits? What do they benefit? And do I want to be a part of whatever, you know, they're trying to get out of their post? Do I want to be an enabler? Do I want to be a supporter of whatever this is? We got people in the chat right now, hanging out, chatting it up on this podcast. They know what the story is. They're buying what I'm selling, but I'm still selling something. I'm still, I'm still like giving something, you know, that I hope that people receive and like believe support and encourage, but I'm still selling. I'm still out here selling, right? I could have said, I could have said, oh, well, it's not so bad that Arma three is, you know, manipulating people into thinking that, you know, there's shit going on in the Ukraine that isn't actually real, but that's not, I am saying a it's all bullshit and B seriously think about this stuff before you fall for it. Try not to fall for it if you can. Uh, because there's a lot going on. Um, it's also happened in the past. Um, you know, they, they kind of Bohemia kind of talks about how it has happened in the past. Arma three videos allegedly depicted conflicts in Afghanistan, Syria, Palestine, and even between India and Pakistan. But nowadays this content has gained traction in regard to the current conflict in the Ukraine. You know, so this isn't even the first time that uh, we've seen this shit uh, from people, you know, posting fake stuff out of uh, Arma 3. We've been trying to fight against such content by flagging these videos to platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. But it's very ineffective with every video taken down. 10 more uploaded each day. Now, hopefully a genius like Elon Musk can figure out how to get all the fake news off of Twitter. Hopefully the brilliant minds over at Facebook can figure out how to get that propaganda machine to slow down just a little bit. Now, and Kingster gaming in the chat saying, well, we'll never understand why people do this stuff. Again, they're they're trying to get something out of it, right? And and it's not it's not our job to figure out what it is they're trying to get out of it. It's just that we don't want to be part of that system. We don't want to be part of that bullshit. Um and I'm going to read this kind of last quote from Bohemia. We found the best way to tackle this is to actively cooperate with leading media outlet outlets and fact checker uh, fact checkers uh such as uh 
routers and others uh, who are better, who have better reach and the capacity to fight the spreading of fake news effectively. Yeah. I mean, you know, AFP routers and, and other, you know, news organizations focus more on fact checking than they do reporting of the news. Right. So there, if you get your news from CBS, Chicago, I don't know. Now, routers might say, ah, you know what? CBS News Chicago didn't have it quite right. Or they, you know, put some spin on it. Obviously, you know, people don't care if it's real or not. And I think that's kind of where we're at with society. It's like people want to believe what they want to believe. They don't care if it's real, which is really unfortunate because why even have fact checking if, uh, if the shit isn't real, right? You know, you could even make the argument that the people posting this fake, uh, this fake Arma stuff, they don't even care if it's real or not. They're just trying to get something out of it. They're trying to spread chaos. They're trying to spread, you know, whatever fascism, whatever it may be. Uh, Arma four was announced in May. So if you thought the realistic footage of uh, Arma three wasn't real enough, look out because the next time you see propaganda video faking uh, events in Ukraine, it might look even more ultra realistic when Arma four comes out. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk Bethesda. Let's talk Todd Howard for a moment uh, and maybe move away from something so goddamn depressing. Well, I mean, listen, I don't think. I hope Starfield is good. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, if Starfield was uh, was a good video game. I spent I spent a lot of time with Fallout 4. I really like Fallout 4. I also don't know if Fallout 4 is a great video game. So when I take my bias of I spent a lot of time with it and I enjoyed it with how fucking broken and buggy and impenetrable it can be at times. I might recommend, you know, Fallout 4 to somebody, but Bethesda games at large. I don't know. Right. It kind of remains to be seen. Uh, Todd Howard uh, is the Starfield director and says that Xbox exclusivity is awesome, but he's feeling the pressure to sell consoles. Oh, so like the pressure to put out a game that like people want to buy and isn't a buggy mess. Todd Howard is out there discussing the benefits and challenges that come with being a first party Xbox studio. Now, remember. Microsoft bought Bethesda for $7.5 billion. All right. Which is small potatoes compared to what they're trying to do with Activision, but they already own Bethesda. And if they can make, you know, Bethesda put out good ass games, we might be able to use that. Or they might be able to use that as an example of like, Hey, when we buy these game studios, they put out better shit, right? Imagine what call of duty would be like if we had, if we had the chance to fund Activision, Fund Treyarch, fund Infinity Ward. We'll see. And I guess we're going to see when Starfield comes out. Um, and Todd Howard's kind of talking about feeling the pressure uh, about being owned by Microsoft. We've had a lot of success with games. Uh, this is a quote from him. We've had a lot of success with the games that you talked about, but we've never been kind of a platform seller. You know, the game for a platform for a period of time. And so there is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of responsibility there to make sure we deliver for everybody. I don't know. I, I feel like he might be actually downplaying how goddamn popular 
and successful Bethesda games have been. I bet people went out and bought PlayStation 3s and Xbox 360s when Oblivion came out. I I believe it. I, I don't know why. I don't know why, you know, that's so hard to believe. Um, and I believe that people probably went out and bought PlayStation 4s and Xbox Ones when, uh, you know, when uh, Fallout 4 came out. Right? But Todd Howard to sit here and say that Bethesda games are not platform sellers. I I don't know. I they're incre- they're some of the most popular games on the consoles that they're on. Like Skyrim is probably one of the most popular games on N- Nintendo Switch, Xbox 360, PlayStation 4. Like that shit sells consoles. It does. And I just don't think uh he's telling the full story here. Now is Starfield going to sell Xboxes? Who knows? You know, who, who knows? I think, uh, I think Bethesda's lost a lot of goodwill uh, over the years with the releases of Fallout 4, Fallout uh, 76. And a lot of people are very cynical about what Bethesda looks like under the ownership uh, of Microsoft. I'm not that skeptical because I think that if you throw enough money at Bethesda, they're bound to make a game that doesn't crash, uh, you know, seven times a session and have weird bugs and graphical issues and, and all that stuff. I think you can probably throw enough money at it. Is that what Microsoft's going to do? Remains to be seen. Um, you know, Todd Howard's kind of talking about how the developer had a history of releasing Xbox exclusive content dating back to 2002. Um, Todd Howard says, keep in mind that for us, that exclusivity is not unique, even though we've done PlayStation stuff. And I think the PS5 is just an insane machine. They've done a great job and we've had great success on PlayStation. Bethesda has been a traditionally a PC developer. Uh, and Todd Howard talks about that. We transitioned to Xbox and it became our lead platform like Morrowind's exclusivity to Xbox. Oblivion was exclusive to Xbox for a long time. Skyrim DLC was exclusive. So we've done a lot like our initial stuff is all Xbox. Um, Todd Howard kind of wraps up by saying, uh, so when we get into development and say we're focused on Xbox, it's not abnormal for us in any way. It's been kind of the norm. And for from a development side, I like the ability to focus and have help from them. The top engineers at Xbox to say we're going to make this look incredible on the new system from my standpoint is just awesome. Like is Starfield going to look amazing? It's hard to tell because it's a game that's on such a large scale. And when you make really large open world games, um, you end up in a scenario where sometimes you're sacrificing some graphical quality um, in order to produce at a large scale. That's why to me, uh, PT, the, the teaser demo for, uh, for, uh, that silent Hill game that never came out is probably one of the most gorgeous looking video games I had ever played. Like if you could see it running on a PlayStation four right now, you'd probably be like, God damn, that is a nice looking hallway. That's a nice looking hallway and a half. I guess, uh, the truth is with PT. And that's because they took all the power or most of the power that the PlayStation four could output and condensed it into a tiny hallway. And it's like absolutely gorgeous. Uh, let's talk about machine games. Todd Howard had some things to say about machine games. Uh, if there's one thing that machine games loves doing, it's letting you kill Nazis. And who doesn't like killing Nazis? Oh God. Uh, 
the alt-right is going to find uh, this podcast and uh, I'm going to get murdered for it, but that's okay. Uh, Machine Games, if you don't know Machine Games, Machine Games are the people that made those recent uh, Wolfenstein games. So when I say Machine Games loves making video games where you kill Nazis, brother, I'm not joking, right? Indiana Jones is a Nazi killer when he's not fighting weird aliens or, you know, crystal skulls. He's often fighting Nazis um, and machine games, you know, has seen a lot of success with their Wolfenstein games. One of the most satisfying Nazi killing simulators out there in the form of, you know, Wolfenstein, the new order, the old blood and, and all that stuff. And now machine games are working on an Indiana Jones game, you know, and it's, it's, we don't know a lot about it, but Todd Howard says that it is a unique genre mashup. And that's interesting. What like when I think Indiana Jones video games, I think either games that are very similar to something like a Tomb Raider, something like an Uncharted. You're solving ancient environmental puzzles. You're shooting dudes. You're running. You're jumping. You're swinging. Right. Or when I think, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones games, I also think about the adventure games, the classic Lucas Arts adventure games, where you're talking to people. You're you're using items to unlock doors uh, and you're doing classic adventure game stuff. So I either think Tomb Raider knockoffs or I think classic like old school PC adventure games from the, from the nineties. So there's really, there's really not to go off of, you know, they really haven't talked about this game. All that they've said is that machine games is the perfect fit for this game with storytelling and how they record it. And the studio is doing an incredible job and I'm looking forward to it. Like, honestly, like if I could pick two games that we know literally nothing about two games that we know literally nothing about, uh, that I'm the most excited about, it would be, this game, the Indiana Jones game, because I think machine games can probably come up with something real cool uh, in Indiana Jones. The other game that I'm really looking forward to that we know nothing about uh, is the new IO game. IO is making a James Bond game. You mean to tell me that the Hitman people are going to have a James Bond game out? Like, you know, a lot of licensed games, a lot of movie time games are garbage. They're trash. They're horrible. They're no good. Very, very bad games. But if you make them, not at all related to an upcoming movie so that they're not on a deadline and not on a tighter budget. And you give a team like machine games or IO time to take what they offer in terms of genre and gameplay and apply it in a unique way to a license that fits them. Like in the case of Indiana Jones and machine games, or like in the case of IO and Hitman, I think you can come up with some really cool stuff. I'm not saying that these are going to be the greatest games of all time. But I think Machine Games might be onto something uh, with their Indiana Jones game, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that it is good. Speaking of games that are hope that are good, uh, CD Projekt has talked about that Witcher remake. They have confirmed that it is going to be an open-world game. So they're remaking the 2007 game The Witcher, and they're making it an open-world modern reimagining of the game, and I think that makes total sense. One, I bet a lot of people who never played The Witcher started playing the Witcher with the Witcher three. So that's what they know. They don't know that the Witcher two isn't really an open world game or that the Witcher one definitely isn't an open world game. Like they don't know. 
So to reintroduce people to the world of, of the Witcher, um, I think you should have it be reflective of the games that came before, you know, the games that have come after it. Right. You know, if you want a really faithful version of the Witcher, go ahead and play the Witcher on PC and you'll find that it is very different than the Witcher three wild hunt. But if you like Geralt and you like what he's about and you really like the Witcher three, you're probably better off waiting for this Witcher remake to come out. Uh, I mess around with a little bit of that original Witcher game and yeah, it's, it's old man. It's like, even for 2007 standards, it was old and funky. It felt old and funky even when it came out in 2007. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. Don't argue with me on it. That game was funky and it is only in, you know, recent years in the grand scheme of things that CD project red has come through with really big budget, really polished, really fire video games. Um, the Witcher three is so far above and beyond the Witcher two. I don't care if you like the Witcher two or not. I'm telling you that the Witcher three is above and beyond anything that they had put out. They maybe took a little bit of a step back in terms of jank and funk and glitchiness and bugginess and un and an uncooked product when they put out cyberpunk. But let's assume that cyberpunk was an exception to the rule uh, of the trajectory of the, uh, of the Witcher games and uh, CD projects output in general, which leads me to believe that a, I'm really looking forward to that uh, Witcher three uh, update. First of all, I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's never been a better time to get into the Witcher than in about two weeks from now when that update comes out. But not only that, like if you finish the Witcher three and you're like, man, I can't get enough. Check out that new uh, remake when it comes out, because it's going to be pretty good. Or at least I'd like to think it's going to be good. Uh, this is a weird news story. This is a this is a weird one. I don't even know what this means. I don't know what this news story means, but I'm going to say it anyways. Going back to my media literacy thing about the 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 game stream media, the, the mainstream media and all that shit. What is the story behind what I'm sharing with you today? Let's find out. There's a plan to release a game console for dogs. I'm going to say that one more time. There are plans to release a game console for dogs, for the good boys and good girls of the world. This is over at the uh, Video Games Chronicles. Check out Video Games Chronicles if you'd like to learn more. Uh, there are plans to release a console tailored for dogs have been uh, detailed by a startup called Joypaw. J-O-I-P-A-W. The company is the brainchild of friends and co-founders, uh, uh, Dearsome Advar and Marco Jenny, who describe themselves as animal lovers, gamers, and scientists. That's what the animal lover, gamer, and scientist is what I have on my Tinder profile right now. That's a, that's a shoot. As reported by Axios, the Joypaw console lets dogs play games designed to provide both physical and mental simulation for man's best friend. While it was initially conceived as a means of alleviating boredom and separation anxiety for the co-founder's puppy when it was home alone, Joypaw claims the console has the potential to offer cognitive benefits for dogs too and could even be used to help delay the onset of canine dementia. Now, as much as I think Doggy Dance Dance Revolution would be good, my only concern is 
what happens when the dog just realizes that it has a tail and starts chasing its tail and stops playing the game, right? You get a dog that's moving and shaking and dancing, uh, playing doggy dance, dance revolution. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, there's a tail. And then they just run off and, and chase their tail. So, you know, dogs can be easily amused at times. Uh, so I don't know how they're going to stay focused on, um, you know, playing the game now, dementia, let's talk about dementia for just a moment. Dementia is this one of the saddest diseases in the world. It's one of the most heartbreaking, destructive, saddest, um, you know, diseases in the world. And the idea of canine dimension has really bummed me out. Just reading the phrase canine dimension, because that means that you're going to have a dog that could eventually forget that they are a good dog. And that just bums me out. So if this game console is, uh, and I'm not making light of it by talking about doggy dimension, doggy dimension, but seriously, um, you know, if this console could pre potentially prevent Canine dementia, I am all for it. Go ahead. Hopefully it isn't too expensive, but let's let's keep reading. Uh, dogs use their nose to play on the console's touchscreen and are rewarded for correct choices via an integrated treat dispenser. You sit around and you play video games all day and you end up fat. That's what happens when you play video games. You sit around, you eat Doritos, and you get fat. So now you got your canine, your dog, sitting around, eating treats, playing video games, getting fat. And that's the lesson that I'm taking out of this new story, is that video games make you fat because you eat nothing but treats. Let's keep reading, though. Uh, Joypaw games include a whack-a-mole challenge and a test to see if dogs can pick which side of an image contains more bubbles. Man, I don't know, like, if humans could figure out which side of the screen has more bubbles. So, that's right. Next thing you know, my dog is eating my Doritos, uh, drinking my Mountain Dew, and smoking my weed. And he's now, like, now he's beating me at Call of Duty because he's been guessing how many bubbles are on a screen for eight hours a day while I'm at work. Um... Still craps in the house sometimes, but uh, at least uh, at least now it uh, has the consistency of Doritos nacho cheese. Ew, that's gross. Shouldn't have said that. Uh, Advar told Axios he also wants a, to make a game which sees dogs and humans play uh, dogs and human players compete against each other to avoid hedgehog spikes. Now you got dogs playing Sonic the Hedgehog, man. What is this world coming to? This is crazy. It's just crazy. JoyPaw's website claims our company offers a holistic approach to preventative dog healthcare. We combine both cognitive and physical stimulation in the form of dog of a dog tailored console, a wearable and software platform, which allows you to track your dog's health indicators. Finally, my dog needs an Apple watch. That's what my dog needs. Uh, JoyPaw alerts you early if an abnormal behavior is detected, and our goal is to share this data with your vet and enable better diagnostics before potential complications. Now, now we're off the rails. We're getting the vet involved in this too. My, I swear to God, if you went to the vet and said, hey, my dog's been playing a lot of video games recently, they would, they would laugh you out of the building. They would laugh you out of the building. Everyone else would laugh you out of the building. The person with like a chihuahua with a broken 
leg would laugh you out of the building. Like everyone would laugh you out of the vet. If you went to the vet and said, here's the data that shows that my dog's been playing a lot of video games. Um, a joy Paul launch window hasn't been confirmed, but it makes, uh, but it's makers say players can put down a fully refundable deposit, a deposit deposit, get it a fully refundable deposit of around $6, which will entitle them to a 5% discount on the final purchase price. What? What? How much is this going to cost? Who? Oh yeah. I'm going to give you $6 and give me 5% off the console. When it comes out, get the fuck out of here. That's just stupid. That being said, if the joy paw comes out and I can afford it, I will review it. I'll play it. I'll buy it. I'll review it on this very podcast. You think my hot takes on Need for Speed Unbound are crazy. You just wait until I'm playing games for dogs, son. Woo! World ain't ready. We have more news. We have more news. The news doesn't stop. A new 12-player co-op Starship Troopers game has been announced. So, uh, we're going on a bug hunt. Wait, no, that's a... Alien 2 reference, Aliens reference, excuse me. Uh, squad developer Offworld Industries' new game will hit Steam Early Access in 2023. I'm okay with games coming out, before we cover this Starship Troopers game, <laughs> I'm okay with games coming out in Early Access and being broken buggy messes. I'm okay with it. You know, if you are putting out a game in Early Access and saying, hey, this game is not finished, we have a roadmap of when we want to expect to have a full version of it out. Here are the updates that we plan on putting out. Here are the issues that we want to fix. Here's the content that we want to add. I'm cool with it. I'm not cool with the game getting a full release and being a broken, buggy, hot mess the way that Pokemon Scarlet and other games recently have been. So the idea of a Starship Troopers game coming out and being filled with bugs, A, is hilarious because the movie's literally about bugs, but two, it's fine. Like, it's fine. If it's if it's a broken buggy mess when it comes out, so be it. Starship Troopers Extermination, a 12-player squad-based co-op first-person shooter inspired by the 1997 film has been announced. First of all, I want to go and watch Starship Troopers when this is over. I might just do that. Um, maybe I won't. We'll see. Set for release next year via Steam Early Access, it's the latest game from Offworld Industries, the Canadian developer and publisher behind tactical FPS uh, shoot, uh, first-person shooter Squad, and most recently, the 50 versus 50 multiplayer shooter Beyond the Wire. A Starship Troopers extermination teaser trailer uh, was put out. Um, according to the official blurb, Starship Troopers Extermination puts players on the far-off front lines in an all-out assault, all assault against the Arachnid Menace. So, hopefully there's, like, raid DLC. Like, I want to buy, like, some raid DLC to spray on these bugs so that I don't need to shoot them. Because raid is more... You ever tried to shoot an ant? Just get raid. Hopefully they have that in the game. Squad up as a trooper in the Deep Space Vanguard, an elite special forces group within the mobile infantry, and get ready to stomp some bug because no trooper will ever stand alone as they line up shoulder to shoulder with their fellow Vanguard's trusty uh, Morta assault rifles in hand to battle against hordes of bloodthirsty insectoid aliens on the hostile surfaces of the planet Valaka. 
I don't know, dude, they're making a, they're making a game. I think having it be a larger squad makes a lot of sense. You know, a lot of co-op first person shooters tend to be on the smaller scale of like four to six, you know, for the most part, you know, squad up in a game of, uh, of, uh, call of duty. And you're probably only going to get about four people in there for something like Warzone, DMZ, stuff like that. But one of the things about Starship Troopers, if you've ever seen the movies, is it deals in scale. Like you, it is it is nothing but space marines being thrown into the meat grinder over and over and over again. Like the catastrophic loss of human life as it relates to fighting alien bugs in Starship Troopers is is an insane amount. So it would have been cool if you had like 50 or a hundred people working together, but making games is hard. I think 12 is an okay number if you ask me. And I, th hopefully it reflects again, the, the tragic loss of human life, uh, as soldiers go to die fighting alien bugs in the movies. Uh, who knows if it's going to be any good. I mean, video game movies or, or games based off movies can be funky buggy even let's see how that starship troopers game pans out gran turismo 7's a boss says he's considering and looking into a pc port uh but there have been claims that bringing the titles tech to pc won't be easy um polyphony digital is looking into and considering a pc port of the latest installment uh playstation is in the middle of a significant push into pc gaming since Gran Turismo 7's release earlier this year, it's added to its PC lineup uh, with ports of Sackboy, Uncharted The Lost Legacy of... Sorry, it's not The Lost Legacy. It's actually The Legacy of Thieves Collection. Excuse me. Spider-Man and its sequel, Miles Morales. Asked by GT Planet if a PC version of GT7 would be con uh, something they'd consider, they said, yes, I do think so. The Polyphony CEO went on the claim that the process of bringing the title, which was released for PS5 and PS4 in March to PC, would not be an easy process. Gran Turismo is a very finely tuned title. Uh, there are not many platforms which could run the game in 4K 60 FPS natively, so one way we make that possible is to narrow down the platform. It's not a very easy subject, but of course we're looking into it and considering it. Now, when you think, you know, racing Sims and, you know, car, car games and driving games in general, people often look as Gran Turismo as kind of like the king of that stuff. Right. And, you know, to some extent it, it still is, but, you know, reviews and public reception for Gran Turismo seven wasn't that kind. One of the criticisms was the way that you unlock cars, the progression um, in games, right? Hold on. People are saying in chat, no, it isn't. I was very disappointed. People are not, people are not happy about Gran Turismo 7, and I'll get there. At one point, I would make the argument that Gran Turismo was the king of racing games and driving games. Uh, I think I would make the argument with the first game, and then after that, it, you know, it kept going, but I really think that Gran Turismo has really only held that crown for like the first game on PlayStation one. I play a lot of Forza. Uh, I might have a bias towards the way Forza does it. Um, 
but uh, Gran Turismo has maybe not been the game that it claims to be for some time. So when you take a game that is maybe in the has been years of its life and put it out on PC, I don't know what the reception is going to be. The reason I say that is because there's actually quite a few options available for uh, racing fans, for driving fans on PC. Um, the Formula One games come out on PC. The you know Forza Horizon and Forza Motorsport are out on PC. You have a ton of other uh, indie driving games on PC. Um, what is it? Assesto. What's the, what's that Italian one? Assesto Corsa is you know a game that is also out uh, on PC. You have Wreckfest. You have Dirt games. There's a lot of stuff that is available on PC that kind of does what Gran Turismo has been doing. The only difference is, is that they don't have weird microtransactions and gross DLC options. Um, should Gran Turismo 7 come out on PC? Absolutely. Why not? Put it out on PC. Uh, give people who own racing wheels an excuse to bust it out uh, and, uh, and try the game. I just in a world where Gran Turismo 7 didn't set the world on fire, I've kind of felt this way with Days Gone. Like, Days Gone is not an amazing game. So, I feel like it was, like, no loss uh, if they didn't put it out on PC. Sony did put Days Gone out on PC. And with Gran Turismo 7, I just don't know. Like, are people going to re be receptive to, you know, that style of driving game, that style of, of racing game? The other thing is that Gran Turismo has never really been a driving game. It's been more of a art history project more than anything, right? Oh, let's spend a bunch of time looking at emails and menus about the history of cars while listening to jazz music. Like that's kind of been Gran Turismo for the longest time. Uh, Gran Turismo seven is no exception when it comes to that. Um, that being said, if it's going to be a hard thing to put out on PC, we'll make it good make make it a good game lord knows that people deserve it if they're going to wait this long for a gran turismo 7 pc port but we shall see this is the last news story and uh it's a doozy uh get ready to start making fun of this company in three two one gamestop's website is reportedly showing customer data including addresses this new story is uh, just under a week old, um, but I wanted to cover it anyways uh, because, you know, personal privacy and data loss is no joke. Uh, users report seeing other customers' information when refreshing their accounts. Retailer GameStop has reportedly leaked customer information, including billing addresses and payment history. According to multiple users on social media for a period of time on Saturday, customers were being shown other users' information when refreshing their order pages. So just in time for Black Friday, all this shit goes bad. It's not clear if this includes full credit card numbers, but one user shared an image showing a partial number. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> There's an update to the story, but let me just cover the, the first little bit. Every time I refresh the website, I can see someone else's name, Phone number, address history, uh, sorry, address, order history. It's like a cycle of four or five people report uh, reporting 
uh, from one Reddit user. This is very worrisome. Can't even change the password because of this glitch. Oh God, I tried it and it's doing it for me too. Added another user addresses, birthdays, emails, etc. This is really bad. So what was happening was people were like logging in, trying to buy stuff online from GameStop's website. And when they got to like the order history, the, you know, the order confirmation, it wasn't, it wasn't their information. It was somebody else's information that was being displayed on screen and people started freaking out, trying to change passwords and all that stuff. And, uh, they could even view the digital currency codes as it sends the verification code to your own email. My friend was able to view a full credit card number by clicking on a card, but the site reloaded quickly after that. What a mess, dude. Like leaking credit card information, all that shit, that shit is bad news. And it's bad news coming from a, you know, a, a company that isn't doing so hot. You know, GameStop has made a lot of weird moves, whether that be the way they handled all the meme stock bullshit, their get rich quick scheme bullshit, the way that if you go to a store, uh, it feels more like a Toys R Us from hell than it does a video game store. Like, oh, do you want to buy this Legend of Zelda backpack and this Pikachu mug? And maybe you want to get a Funko Pop. And yeah, I guess you could pre-order the Callisto Protocol here at the store. But really, what we want you to sell, what we want you to buy is a toaster that toasts your toast. Sorry, toast your bread. Excuse me. You can't toast toast. You can toast bread uh, that toasts your bread in the shape of Darth Vader. What? What the fuck? Honestly, now when I go to a GameStop, it's usually to buy like gift cards. Like last time I was at a GameStop, I was buying Steam gift cards uh, because uh, it was a Steam sale and I didn't want to overspend. So I was like, I'll buy a $50 Steam gift card and that's it. That's what I'm going to spend my Steam, uh, you know, sale money. Uh, that's how I'm going to manage my Steam sale money. Can't, you cannot toast toast people in chat making fun of me. You can't toast toast. That's right. You can toast bread, but not toast. You can pick your nose, but not your friend's nose. Unless you have really cool friends. Um, here's an update from GameStop. GameStop's customer care team has responded claiming that the addresses and names appearing in customers accounts were part of a test and not actual customer data. This was immediately fixed the same day it took place. This was a test. Uh, this was test data created by our teams and not actual customer data. However, an online search suggests that some of the names and addresses that were shown to customers on its website could match real people. Video Games Chronicles has asked if real address was used. Not making fun. I was generally asking. No, no, no. Watch boy. You can't toast toast. That's crazy. What idiot would say you can toast toast. I mean, if you took toast out of an, a toaster, if you took toast out of a toaster and then toasted it again, it's still toast. The part where you toast bread, it takes the bread. It's like a transformative experience for the bread, right? You take bread and you turn it into toast, but you cannot take toast and turn it into toast. It is already toast. Also, if you, if you are, interested to learn more about toast you should play the video game i am bread it's a real video game where you play as a piece of bread uh it's a weird game but uh i think it would cover pretty much everything that you need to know about uh about bread i hope they make a sequel to it um 
No, there's a game called I Am Bread. Listen, there, listen, there's a game called I Am Bread. Uh, it's kind of like a goat simulator-esque game where you are a piece of bread trying to navigate uh, the environment uh, in an attempt to get yourself toasted. And uh, now that I've completely derailed this podcast talking about toast, uh, my apologies, but it is a real thing. I Am Bread. Look for it. Let's talk games. Let's talk like let's talk games for a moment. Um, I've been playing some of the new Need for Speed, Need for Speed Unbound. Need for Speed Unbound is like coming off of uh, a three-year hiatus for Need for Speed. The last game to come out was Need for Speed Heat, uh, which was done by Ghost Games. It was the last Need for Speed game produced by Ghost Games until Cry- uh, Criterion took over the development and Criterion has put out Need for Speed Unbound. Need for Speed Unbound, if you haven't seen it, has a unique art style where the characters are all cell shaded and there's a bunch of like cartoon uh, special effects around the cars, but the cars and the environment are going for a photo realistic look. So you have like cartoon looking, you know, I'm playing as a cartoon lady. And my cartoon lady is driving my Honda Civic Type R. Uh, but when I, you know, activate Nitro or, or, or Boost or whatever, it is like some big cartoon, you know, cartoon cloud of nonsense uh, and, and whatnot. And when the game was announced, some people were not happy with the art style, not happy with the look. Having now spent about three hours with the game, I can tell you that it is one of the more unique things about the game. I don't know if I like the art style, but it at least is something different. Um, And the reason why I'm picking on Need for Speed Unbound for not being different is because I think the tire thing looks okay. Like people asking, like, what do you think? Like, it looks okay. I actually would rather them do a cell shaded look. Like, I'd actually, like, I actually think they should have gone further with the look to be honest, because it is one of the, there's not a lot of unique and different things about this game compared to other need for speed games. Like it is very, it's very similar to heat. It is incredibly similar to need for speed heat so much so that when I was playing it, I was like, is this, is this just need for speed heat all over again? And I went and played some heat and dude, this game is need for speed heat all over again, uh, with a different art style. I actually, again, my opinion is that they should have gone further with the art style. Um, or if you don't like the art style, maybe they should have done a different art style. But I actually think that like Need for Speed games have looked like Need for Speed games for a very long time. And if this is supposed to be like a big reboot or a big change, um, you know, for Need for Speed, they don't change up enough. The graphics and art style is not different enough. The gameplay is not different enough. One of the few things that I can say about Need for Speed that feels different is that they don't pigeonhole you to, you know, playing online the way that, you know, previous Need for Speed games have been so focused on, you know, playing online in the open world and all that stuff. So Need for Speed Unbound is an open world arcade racing game. Uh, where you are driving around, you know, doing side missions like, you know, finding collectibles, jumping through billboards, um, you know, 
driving unique cars for time trials. And, you know, you're also, there's cops, right? The, the cops, uh, are back, uh, in this game and in need for speed unbound, you are, you know, at times eluding cops in races, eluding cops in the open world. But one of the things about, uh, need for speed unbound, which is very similar to heat is that you are building up something called heat and what heat is is it's basically like a, like a, like a danger, like a danger level, uh, so to speak. So if you spend a lot of time driving around the open world, you know, busting stuff up, getting in trouble with cops, street racing and all that stuff, you will build up a heat meter. That heat meter will give you more points. It'll give you like more, you'll earn more money. Um, you can earn more money and you can do, um, you can basically cash in that heat at any point in time. So if you've been racing all night, uh, you might have the cops uh, attention a little more than if you had just started racing, uh, earlier that day or that night, there's a day and night cycle. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, but basically, um, the more you race and the more you attract the cops attention, the more heat that you generate. And it's kind of a risk reward system of like, do I cash in this heat or do I risk it to try to earn more money? Um, and earn more experience and earn more points. Um, uh, but if you get busted by the cops, you could potentially lose all of that, all that progress and basically lose, you know, the progress that you made when you started up the day and night cycle is weird. You can basically you, uh, there are days. So there's like Monday through Sunday, right. Or, you know, whatever. And when you start the game, it basically says, Hey, you have X amount of days to earn this many points, this much money to upgrade your car to this spec in order to enter this tournament at the end of the, at the end of the week. And there's a day and night cycle. So you start the day off in the morning. Um, and then once you, you basically have like two chances per day to earn as much money as possible to upgrade your car. And if this sounds very similar to heat, it's because it, it damn near is like the concepts that were introduced in heat. So you spend a bunch of time in the open world, earning money, doing races, generating heat. You then go back to your garage, back to your safe house, cash in that money, uh, bank that money, spend it on upgrades, go out and do it all over again. And that's kind of the, the cycle with this game. And for a game that took like three years to come out, I don't understand why it's so similar to need for speed heat in that regard. Like they could have done anything with this game. Um, especially considering that criterion is making this game. It's not being made by ghost games. So the people that previously made this game have clearly inspired the developers of need for speed unbound. They could have done anything. They could have, they could have, they could have done anything. And here we are three years later, basically remaking need for speed heat. So they've been shit since pro street. Okay. So people, yeah, people. So, I mean, that's one of the things and we're going to get to this in a moment, but people would argue that like, there is a time, like there is a date and time when need for speed died, right? Like there's a date and time when need for speed died. I think need for speed is okay. Like I think need for speed unbound is okay. If you have not played heat, you should just go play heat. Like you should play other need for speed games instead of need for speed unbound. Um, 
examples of other Need for Speed games that you should probably play. I even like people talking about like Most Wanted. Like if you don't have a PlayStation Two, um, then you might be out of luck in terms of, uh, um, in terms of this game. Again, people are saying like Heat was horrible. I hate Heat. Again, my thing is is that if if uh, if you ha- if you're gonna play Unbound, you might as well play Heat. Heat was on sale for like $7, you know, during black Friday and all that stuff. And you're better off spending $7 on a need for speed game that you may or may not like compared to paying full price for this. Like I'm getting this for game pass. I'm getting this for game. Oh, in in fairness, heat is like a three-year-old game. People being like, like, come on, heat is a three-year-old game. You can find a lot of three-year-old games for very cheap. Uh, when big sales come around and all that stuff. Um, but you're better off spending $7 on heat than spending another full price purchase on this game. That is basically need for speed heat with cartoon ASAP Rocky. Um, so, so do keep that in mind. The other thing about need for speed unbound again, like it's not, it's not different enough. It, they don't go far enough with the art style. They don't go far enough with you know, the concepts that were introduced to need for speed heat. Like they should have just called this game heat two or something or heat one and a half because that's all it is. And I'm so surprised. I actually had to go back and play some need for speed heat to be like, am I fucking crazy? Or is this just that game all over again with a different art style set in a different world? I think for a game that is only out on PlayStation 5 and and Xbox Series S and X, I don't think graphically it looks that amazing. Like, I'm playing it on PC, uh, and it looks okay. You know, the roads are pretty wet looking. The cars are pretty car looking. The tires are very round. Very round tires in this video game. But I think they could have done something different um, with the art style in terms of... uh, you know, making the cars look a little different, um, making, you know, the graphical effects stand out a little bit more. But in the end, I just think Need for Speed Unbound is another bland, kind of boring Need for Speed game. And we've been saying that about Need for Speed games for a long time. And do I think Need for Speed is dead? No, because nothing in this world is dead. EA could come back and keep trying over and over again. And they could keep putting out mediocre need for speed games until the cows come home. I still don't think that series is dead. People said the need for speed has been dead for a long time. I'm not here to argue that. Um, people saying pro street and undercover, um, and all that stuff. What was that weird one <laughs> there? Oh, uh, payback payback. People, people didn't like need for speed payback. Some people like need for speed payback. Some people didn't like need for speed. Payback. Um, let's actually look, let's actually pull up a history of need for speed games for a moment. Let's pull up a list of need for speed games and let's talk about it. Need for speed debuted in 1994. Need for speed is as old as I am. So let's, let's keep that in mind. All right. And when we talk about the peak of Need for Speed games, we're really talking like, you know, 2000s, uh, you know, the the early to mid 2000s with games like Hot Pursuit 2 on the PlayStation 2. Hot Pursuit 2 is a fire game 
People really liked Underground and Underground 2. Uh, people loved Most Wanted. People loved Most Wanted. Most Wanted is probably the most beloved um, Need for Speed game. Um, so Need for Speed in 1994. Need for Speed 2 in 97. Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit in 1998. High Stakes in 99. Porsche Unleashed in 2000. Hot Pursuit 2, 2002. Underground. 2003 underground 2 2004 most wanted 2005 carbon 2006 pro street 2007 undercover 2008 shift 2009 nitro also came out 2009 nitro was the uh, Wii game uh we also have uh, so undercover 2008 and pro street 2007 uh shift 2009 um, shift was like their attempt to make a Gran Turismo game. Like shift is more of a, uh, Gran Turismo sim style, um, game. We also have need for speed world. I think need for speed world is like a mobile game. I could be wrong. And then really in 2010 need for speed comes back in a big way. Need for speed comes back in a big way with hot pursuit. Hot pursuit, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best need for speed games to come out in a decade or more. At this point, we have shift Two unleashed shift Two unleashed again, uh, trying to be more of a Gran Turismo style uh, game. We have the run. The run might be one of the worst need for speed games. The run coming out in, in 2011. Um, the run. Why not take a bunch of, uh, you know, quick time events. Um, and have a guy run around. When I think Need for Speed, I think a bunch of dudes running around. The run's not great. Uh, Need for Speed Most Wanted. Uh, the reboot of Most Wanted coming out in 2012. Also, not a bad game. So in ten in in the span of a couple of years, uh, we have Hot Pursuit and Most Wanted in 2010 and 2012 being some of the better need for speed games. Take it over to 2013. 2013 was the uh, first PlayStation four need for speed game need for speed rivals. If you don't remember need for speed rivals, that's the one where you could, uh, first of all, it's like always online. You have to play with online people. And, uh, that was the one where, uh, you could like download the iPad app and like send helicopters and cops to other players and all that stuff. Uh, again, focused on, um, focused on, uh, you know, being a cop. And I mean, there's been cops in a lot of games. Um, so we had need for speed, uh, rivals in 2013. Then they reboot the whole thing. They say, forget it. We're going to reboot need for speed. And we're just going to call it need for speed, need for speed in 2015. Now, if you don't know the history of need for speed, um, need for speed used to feature a lot of FMV and video like actors and full motion video in their games, dating all the way back to 1994, uh, with the original need for speed game. So they decided to bring back a lot of that FMV. Um, you know, also if you remember FMV was in most wanted and all that stuff, you know, razor Callahan talking about, you know, street racing and all that stuff. They decided to bring back that FMV in need for speed in 2015. And uh, Need for Speed was not great. Criticized for being always online. You couldn't even pause the game. 
in Need for Speed. Um, it was still a commercial success, so people went out and continued to buy Need for Speed for some reason. Payback in 2017, Payback again, trying to be more of an action movie style racing game and less of a street racing game. Uh, Need for Speed Heat in 2019. And then here we are, 2022, Need for Speed Unbound. Need for Speed has had a rough decade. Like, basically, I would say the entire um, PlayStation 4... Uh, the entire PlayStation 4 console generation has been a bad time for Need for Speed. Why? Because the best game that you can play on a PlayStation 4 uh, right now is... Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. The best PlayStation 4 game on, um, you know, the best PlayStation 4 Need for Speed game is Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. Obviously, you can't go play Unbound because Unbound is only on PlayStation 5. Um, but here we are. We're still street racing. We're still dealing with cops. And it's like, what, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing with this franchise? We're putting out, at times, the same game over and over again. And when we make changes, they either aren't different enough or they're terrible in some cases. Yeah, I might be convinced that Need for Speed is dead. You know, there are going to be people out there that enjoy it. And one of the things that I really want to focus on with this podcast is if you disagree with my opinion on games, more power to you, more power to you, because who am I to fucking sit here and say that need for speed is dead? Who am I? I'm just a guy with an opinion, right? I'm just a guy with an opinion who got to play need for speed unbound early for free, only to tell you that it's not great. It ain't, it ain't all that. And I'm at the point now where, yeah, I think Need for Speed is probably done. To me, the best EA racing games on, you know, the, the most recent consoles are as follows. Hot Pursuit and Burnout Paradise. Those are the best racing games that EA has put out in a very long time. Too long of a time, in fact. Now, obviously, we're not going to get a Burnout Paradise anytime soon. EA could give less of a shit about the Burnout uh, games. And I get it. But Hot Pursuit Remastered, which came out in 2020, is still one of the best Need for Speed games available now. Yeah, it might not have as much of a focus on the open world side of things, yeah, it might not be as focused on racing with your friends online in real time. But damn it, if it doesn't at least get the part where you are racing against cops correctly. People talking about the Crew 2. The Crew 2 is not very good. Uh, don't, don't play the Crew 2. Listen, I don't think the Crew 1 is a great game, but, you know, if you want to go play a more modern and more fleshed out open world street racing game with cops in it. Like I'll tell you right now. Oh boy. I'm in a, I'm the, Oh, I don't know if I should say this. If you want to go play a better 
open world street racing game. You should go play the crew one. The crew one is probably better than most of those need for speed games that we just referenced. Again, if you got heat, check it out. I don't know. Like I didn't mind. Like, honestly, when I was going back and playing heat, I actually enjoyed playing heat more than I did unbound because at least I was like, at least need for speed isn't pretending it's different than it actually is. Like to me, there's actually something refreshing about going back and playing heat because it wasn't under the pretense that it was a different game than it actually was like heat one. So need for speed heat is just same old, same old need for speed to some extent with the, the, you know, kind of the risk reward mechanic in it. So to me that makes unbound even more forgettable because it's just the same. It's just the same thing as heat. So if you like unbound, if you like heat, you might like unbound, but you should probably just play heat instead of unbound. It's a messy way of talking about uh, Need for Speed, but that's kind of what I have to say about that game. I've been playing other games. Um, I've been playing other games besides uh, Need for Speed, though. One of the games that I've been playing is Arcade Paradise. Arcade Paradise is a arcade management sim. So it is it is first person. And the story goes, oh, first of all, actually, hold on. Before I talk about Arcade Paradise, the story in Need for Speed Unbound is obnoxious. The story is terrible. The characters have awful dialogue, bad voice acting. Uh, The Need for Speed Unbound characters are just so annoying. Um, And it is so obvious where the story is going in terms of, oh, your friend screwed you over uh, minor spoilers for the story. Oh, your friend screws you over and takes all your cars away. And, uh, and now you're working with somebody who's out to, you know, out to take the street racing scene back. And the mayor has a bunch of dirty cops, uh, out there trying to bust up street racers. And it's so obvious that like, you're going to be working with the feds to take down the street racing scene and take down the dirty cops that are involved. Like it's just the same old, same old story that has been told time and time again between cops versus street racers in, in need for speed. So that's it. That's all I have to say about need for speed. That story is boring. The voice acting is atrocious. The characters are lame. Uh, I also don't think the soundtrack is very good either in need for speed unbound. I just think need for speed unbound is kind of boring and bland. And I don't know why it took them three years to make a game that is basically need for speed heat, but worse. There, I said it. Arcade Paradise, you are a kind of a a slacker, uh, a slacker, uh, you know, teen, early adult person who uh, is instructed by your dad to go run your dad's old laundromat. So I'm thinking when I fired up Arcade Paradise, I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to take this, uh, we're going to take this uh, laundromat and we're going to turn it into an arcade. Um... But it turns out that in Arcade Paradise, you are running that laundromat on top of running the arcade. I've spent a lot of time in Arcade Paradise. I've probably put about, I don't know, two hours into it so far. I have done a lot of people's laundry in Arcade Paradise. So in Arcade Paradise, you are managing, again, you're managing this arcade that's kind of in the back 
of your laundry mat. So it's almost like the 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 arcade is uh, the, the laundry mat is a front for the arcade. It's it's weird how the game kind of sets up this arcade. Um, the game sets up the the arcade that you're running. But anyways, in Arcade Paradise, you are tasked with cleaning up and maintaining the cleanliness of the laundry mat. Um, you are also in charge of uh, you know like you know, crawling under the machines and, and taking out the, the, the tokens and the money, um, in it, you're also tasked with, you know, charging people X amount of money. Like how much do you want to charge for it's a lot of, so, so the cool thing is with arcade paradise is that you can play all of the arcade cabinets that you own. Right now, all of these arcade ca cabinets are kind of facsimiles knockoffs of real games. So there's a, there's like a fake Pac-Man game where you play as a car, um, uh, driving around and the, and the cops are ghosts or the ghosts are cops and all of this stuff. And you can set the difficulty levels for these games. You can choose how much money each game is going to cost. You can see the popularity of the games, how much they earn. And basically you're, you know, running this laundry mat with an arcade in the back, um, trying to make money to basically impress your, your dad who, who thinks you're a, a slacker loser, uh, who can't, who can't do anything right. Um, but again, you are running this laundry mat in real time with the arcade in the back. So, uh, the setup would be that you would start the day. You'd come into, come into the laundry mat and you'd see a bunch of people have laid out their, uh, you know, baskets of laundry. So you would put the laundry, uh, in the washing machine. And it's usually like on like a two and a half, three minute cycle. Like it's, it's sped up for, you know, for how, uh, realistic it takes to actually do laundry. So you're in the laundromat, you know, uh, washing people's laundry. And for when you have time to kill, you can actually go and play the arcade games in the back room. And there are challenges associated with like, Oh, beat this level in this arcade, you know, score on yourself five times in air hockey or whatever. Right. You get a notification on your watch saying your laundry is ready. You go throw the laundry in the dryer got another three minutes to go and play these games. As you're doing that, more people are bringing in, uh, you know, uh, laundry, uh, people are clogging up your toilet, uh, as they do in laundry mats. And, uh, it's just, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool thing. Like I'm getting pretty close to having a better, more dedicated space for the arcade machines, uh, in this game. Um, you're going to be, I'm going to be buying more arcade machines and, and checking out more games. Um, but it's fun. Like it's kind of this mad dash of like, Oh, I got to throw the laundry in. Then I'm going to go play some more games. Then I'm going to go do the dryer and Oh God, someone, you know, clogged the toilet or someone put gum on the side of this machine. And I'm like scraping the gum off of this arcade cabinet or people just threw a bunch of trash out. So I'm going to like throw the trash in the, you know, grab it, put it in a bag, toss a bag in this, uh, dumpster outside. And it's, it's kind of a mad dash of a, of a, of a, uh, management sim so far, but overall I think arcade paradise is really cool. Um, I think your, your feelings on arcades will really influence how you feel about the games that are in arcade paradise. Like if you are, if you are not a retro gamer, like if you could not give less of a shit about Pac-Man, for example, you're probably not going to care for some of the games that you can play in arcade paradise. Um, but for me, I think our arcade paradise is cool. I think the games, uh, are, are fun. The management options that you have at your disposal are cool. 
it's got a decent sense of humor and a decent style uh, to it. And I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to playing more of it in the near future. I also played some teardown. Teardown is the kind of the first person destruction puzzle game uh, that came out earlier this year. Uh, teardown is still in early access, so they're still making updates to it and changing it up and all that stuff. And I was really excited to play teardown. I was really looking forward to it and I don't love teardown. One of the reasons I don't love teardown is because I think it is better of a tech demo, uh, and it is better of a proof of concept than it is an actual game. So in teardown, you know, everything is destructible. You can tear down a wall. You can bust up a door. You can destroy a roof. You can drive a car through a building in first person and all of that stuff. And you can watch the, 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 the wall crumble and decay in real time. And it's kind of the, the scale of, uh, of destructibility. Um, that is kind of the gimmick in teardown. You can take a skyscraper and knock it down. You can take a garage and, and level it. Um, watch why asking my streaming somewhere else. Nope. Just streaming on Twitch. Um, but the podcast will be up, uh, on YouTube and in audio format and all that stuff too. So in teardown, you can, you know, use a sledgehammer or grenades or, wherever, you know, a bunch of different tools at your disposal. Uh, you can set fire to things and watch the fire kind of eat away at the, at the structure of buildings. And it's a really cool look. It's a really cool gimmick. And the way that they kind of turn it into a game is by making it kind of a heist, uh, game of like, okay, you're going to go in here and you're going to steal this computer and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to steal this car and you're going to do a bunch of stuff. And Oh, by the way, you can take as long as you want to set up the, the heist. But once you touch one of the things that you're trying to steal, you have a 60 second timer to finish everything else. So it's kind of a setup, you know, you know, bust down the walls, uh, open up the doors, you know, do whatever you got to do to, uh, set up the environment in a way where you can easily make an escape. But once you start your escape, you only have 60 seconds to get out. And I just don't think the part where you're actually doing these puzzles and engaging in the environment in a way where you're actually trying to solve problems is very interesting. To me, the most fun part was uh, I downloaded a bunch of so on on the Steam Workshop, uh, there's a bunch of mods that you can download. So people are making, you know, uh, missile launchers or like Thor's hammer, uh, as these, you know, crazy, powerful, destructive weapons that you can use to destroy the environment. They're also making a bunch of levels. So somebody made like the Titanic, right? And it's like this huge scale, uh, version of the Titanic in, uh, submerged, you know, in, in, you know, floating in water and you can destroy this Titanic with all the crazy weapons at your disposal and watch it sink and watch it, you know, break apart and all this stuff. And I just think the destruction of it, of the game is more interesting than the game itself. So unfortunately I kind of bounced off teardown. Um, I wanted to like teardown more than I did. Um, teardown is cool. If you get it on sale or something, maybe mess around with it, check it out. But it's just the part where they want you to play it as a game where you are solving problems and accomplishing objectives is less interesting than just fucking around with the tools that the game offers. 
I finished Miles Morales. We talked about that last week. I finished Miles Morales. Miles Morales is my favorite Spider-Man game. Uh, no bones about it. Uh, it is it is a fabulous game. I think it is better than the main Spider-Man game. And uh, that's kind of all I have to say about it. I mean, obviously, if you have Spider-Man, uh, the, the main game, check it out. It's, it is a cool game. But I think as a sequel, like it does everything that you would want a sequel to do uh, with the exception, maybe of giving you like new environments to kind of interact with uh, and run around in. Uh, I really think that, uh, you know, Miles Morales is a better game than Spider-Man, but Spider-Man is still good. And obviously it gave a good formula for Miles Morales to work with. Um, a couple of games came out this week. I have not had time to check, um, check them out yet. Um, but, uh, Warhammer 40 K dark tide is out now. That is that new, uh, co-op first person shooter from the people that made a vermin tide. Uh, that is out now on game pass and, and on a variety of things. I think let's actually check. I think dark tide is only out on a couple of, uh, ah, that's what it is. So currently Warhammer 40,000 Dark Tide is out on Xbox and PC. Uh, it's also out on Game Pass. So if you have Game Pass, uh, check and you like uh, co-op first person shooters, check out Dark Tide. I'm going to be checking that out. Uh, hopefully have more to say on the podcast next week. Uh, I'm going to play more Arcade Paradise, so I have more to say about that. Uh, Soccer Story, uh, the new uh, game from uh, Golf St- the Golf Story developers is out now also out on game pass i'm going to be checking out soccer story um and seeing what that is so i'll have more to say about those games uh next week uh arcade paradise dark tide and soccer story and then also next week is the next destiny 2 season uh that is coming out on tuesday this podcast is recorded on thursdays out on friday so i don't know how much of uh you know, Destiny 2, I'm going to be at a chance to play once that new season comes out. But that new season is coming out soon. Looking forward to it. And this will be the last season before Destiny 2 Lightfall comes out in February. So I'm really looking forward to that. Man, what a podcast. What a time to be alive. Playing games, all of that stuff. I have been Nitwit. You can find everything that I do over at my Linktree. Linktree.com slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T. Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff. But I am not done streaming for today. If you're watching this live uh, and you have the chance, come on back. I'm going to take probably about a 15-minute break. When I come back, we're going to play some Proteus. Proteus is a kind of retro Doom-inspired first person shooter uh that came out earlier this year i'm going to be checking that out uh so if you have the chance uh, come on back if not it'll be up on my youtube channel uh it'll be out on my youtube channel uh for all of you to watch and all that stuff i have just been talking for nearly two hours and i got to take like a 15 minute break uh, i will turn the stream off and back on again so if you see me live come on back if not it's all good uh but oh my god i need like more coffee and uh more water and more everything so if you get the chance come on back check out proteus uh as i play it if not we will see you all tomorrow 9 a.m pacific standard time for some more streaming not sure what we're going to stream just yet maybe we'll maybe that we'll use that as an opportunity to check out dark tide that's what we'll do tomorrow morning 9 a.m pacific standard time we're going to play some dark tide see what that is all about i have been nitwit 
thank you for thank you so much for checking out glitch report i can't believe we have made it to episode 22 i just got my ep, uh glitch report like spotify podcast year in review i guess everyone's doing their like hey here's the music you listen to this week and they kind of have something like that for uh for podcasters and all that stuff for Spotify. Thank you for making Glitch Report such a success. Thank you for making the uh, Twitch streams such a success. Uh, I have been Nitwit, like I said, and we will see you all again very soon. Take it easy.